Hi, guys. This is Janet Kidder. I play the fabulous Osira on uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3. And you are listening to Spoiler Country. It's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That right there is the handsome Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's Janet Kidder, isn't it? It is, man. And she comes on. She talks with Jeff uh, about yeah. her role as Osira on Star Trek Discovery and a whole bunch of more stuff. And uh, they had a... So that was a loud door slam. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, the the downside of doing a podcast when you have five kids is that inevitably sometimes kids can... Usually I'm pretty good about them being quiet, yeah. but my seven-year-old just we slammed the door. So on sorry, air light. On air. I know. They'd still ignore it. I mean, even the door's locked, they still just knock loud. It's like, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but Janet Kidder. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Jeff. Talk to Discovery. She plays Osira. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. If you haven't watched Discovery, man, Discovery is amazing. Yeah, it's a great show. It's a great, great show. It's it's a lot of fun. You know, it's funny. I, I, at the beginning of this podcast, I said, "Start." You know, Star Trek watchers and Star Wars watchers are. And um, why is there any kind of animosity between the two groups, or is it is I, it perceived in Hollywood just plays up on it like like uh, Kevin Smith's fanboys? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, there are definitely fans who are anti with the other one. Yeah. I don't understand it because they're so very. The only similarity they have is they have star in the name. Like that's the only similarity, and they're spaceships, I guess. Right. But Star Wars and Star Trek could not be further. I think it's a fundamental different. differences of how they perceive space travel and factions of species um, communicating with each other, and how that would how that would occur. Star Wars is very set up, very much set up like a kingdom, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, Star Wars is very much Star Wars is very much rooted in fantasy, and yeah. Star Trek is very much rooted in science and science fiction. Yeah, it's an know? interesting dichotomy, though. I, I guess I can now that we're talking about it. I guess but, I can see it. Well, the, here, here's a secret for everybody out there: it's okay to like both, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's totally no okay. one's gonna hurt you. It's okay. It's okay. You can you can love Star Trek and you can love Star Wars. You can be totally bi. Cool. You could totally be yeah. bi for Star Wars and Star Trek. You can be bi stars. It's okay. Bi Star stars. Bi. It's that's, fine. That's what we're gonna call it. Bi stars. That's our, that's the go. thing right there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's such a divide, but it's like who cares? Yeah. I like them both. I like them both. I have no problem with both of them. So there you go. This is the weirdest intro for Janet Kidder ever. Let's go ahead and get into it then. <laughs> Let's do it. Listen to Janet Kidder in her own words. 
listeners of Spoiler Country, today on the show, we have the, we have the fantastic Janet Kidder. How's it going, Ms. Kidder? Uh, very, very well, thank you. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for um, spending your time talking with me. I'm a big fan of your work, especially recently with Discovery. Yeah, well, I'm really glad to be a part of your podcast, so I'm uh, thankful, too. So when did you uh, know you wanted to be an actor? I knew I wanted to be an actor when I was, I believe I was seven and I was on the set of Superman one with my aunt Margot Kidder. And I realized that I wanted to wear cool clothes like she did and just kind of have as much fun as she was clearly having in her job. And that was, uh, that was the moment where I made the decision right then. Holy crap. You're on the, on the set of the first movie of Superman. That That's a classic of Massive proportion, but what was it like to be on that set? How old were you, approximately? I was, uh, I was seven. It was, it was everything that you can expect being on such a, you know, a big budget, exciting project like that. The atmosphere was electric. You know, the energy was just magical. It was, it was every little child's dream, I think, to be on, to be on a set like that. And it was, you know, it was in London, which is where I, I grew up. So, you know, it was close to home. Just fantastic. So when you're watching the movie, um, which, I, which I assume you, you saw later on, are you able to enjoy the movie as just a regular fan? Or do you notice, you know, do you see it more as like, you know, almost like a family video, <laughs> home video? What, Superman? Yes. Oh, no, I love the movies. I think they're, I think they're great. It was, uh, it was always, always one of our favorite movies to watch. So your 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 aunt Margot Kidder. Yeah. What what advice did she give you about the industry uh, when you told her or that you were interested in getting into it? Was there anything about the craft or it as a business that yeah. kind of stuck with you? I mean, my aunt. You can ask anyone that she's ever worked with. Certainly um, up here in in uh, Canada, that the one thing my aunt was known for was her you know consummate professionalism, and that's something that she instilled in me from the very beginning. How important it was to make sure that you treat everybody on set with equal respect. Oh, I think you froze. Um, sorry, I, I, I'm pretty sure you froze. Share that. Oh, did I? Yeah, um, that's okay. If you can just repeat what you said, um, you froze for about five seconds there, 10 seconds. Oh, okay. I was saying that she always made it very important to let me know how to, you know, that to treat everybody as equals, whether it was a PA or a producer, we're all in this together when we're all just people doing our jobs. And so that's certainly something that I walk onto set with every day. And just to be professional, turn up on time, know your lines, stand where you're meant to stand and do what you're asked to do. And Stand up for the little guys. That's what she taught me. So you attended the University of British Columbia. Yeah. What was about that university that that you decided that was your destination? Well, I lived, I was raised in the United Kingdom. And when I was 18, because my father still lived in Vancouver, I always had this sort of, you know, very cool thing to be able to say, I'm going to live in Canada for a year. And so when I got to Vancouver, I just decided to look into the theater course at UBC. It wasn't actually a decision based on the the university itself or even the program itself. It was more just my location, and this is where I found myself. And they had a great a great course there, so I so I, I took it. Well, that's how we feel in the United States right now. We all wish we could go to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> More, a little less over the last couple of weeks, couple but weeks, yeah. <laughs> but for the but for a while, we've all been wishing we could head into Canada. <laughs> I know. So, so what did uh, you learn about the craft of acting while at the University of British Columbia? And was that 
did you go there for acting or did you have a different major and you like minored in acting and uh, no, I went there and I specifically took the, the theater arts course and I had just finished my A-levels in England. So I had sort of been up to, you know, my eyeballs in academics and I really wanted to actually do more of a sort of, a, what do I want to say, a practical based theater course. But because it was a university, it was actually also, you know, I had to take English and philosophy and all the other courses. And I decided after the first um, year that I wanted to do something more practical. So I left UBC and I went to Studio 58, which was a, you know, a designated theater arts course at a college, Langara College, not far from where I lived. So I transferred schools. So in taking other classes like English, um, philosophy, and other things like that, yeah. does that help you understand the craft of acting or your role's better or that's just kind of ancillary and didn't really do much didn't really do much like I was ready just to concentrate on acting you know I I, I I'd done lots of academics and I just wanted to really uh, dive into the the world of acting so they, they didn't help me the other courses no I found them actually distracting which is why I, <laughs> I left <laughs> <laughs> so you ended up you said studio 58 it was called yeah it's a theater arts program at a college here and that's all about you know, it's about acting. You take courses in mask and, you know, movement and voice, and you learn how to build sets and do lighting. So it's sort of a, a, an all over general idea of, of what it's like to be in the theater. So in your opinion, how much of being a successful actor is basically almost pure born talent and how much can be learned? I'm teaching acting right now. And so I do believe that you can learn things, but I also do believe that you either have something or you don't. You can learn the mechanics, you can learn tricks, and you can learn exercises, how to, how to bring a character to life, perhaps, how to delve into a scene more deeply than you initially thought possible. So maybe it's not 50-50, but maybe it's like 60-40 talent to, to work. I don't know. I don't want to go out there and put myself out there saying something. People go, what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you have to put the work in, but also it comes from somewhere inside you and either you can, you know, connect with that stuff or you can't. Does are, that are you sense or is that really vague? No, no, it's perfect. And I do understand why you wouldn't want to put yourself out there and be like, 46, you'd be like, oh, then what am I paying for? <laughs> 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 so... Are, are, do you feel comfortable saying where you're teaching acting at the moment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm teaching acting at the Vancouver Acting School, and uh, and it's really great. It's my first foray into that into that world as a teacher. I was very nervous. I've only been teaching there for six months, something like that, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It feels so nice to be able to give something back rather mm. than just be so, you know, self sort of absorbed in this business, which you, you have to be to an extent. So I'm finding it very fulfilling. Are, are you able to tell which students have that kind of like that spark and they're going to be like stars or, or is it, you know, you never really know. No, you could you, you know, you can tell that students that, that have it and students that are going to take, you know, a lot of work to kind of find out who they are. And I think that maybe that's, that's the key to a to a teacher is trying to trying to make people aware of where they might hold hold themselves back and try and give them you know the space to sort of learn about themselves and experience different aspects of themselves that maybe they 
would never do otherwise. For, for my day job, I actually, um, I'm a teach, high school teacher. Oh, uh, for my day job, I teach at a therapeutic high school in uh, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And what, what kind of advice could you give me from a, as a teacher about how to deal with students who maybe are struggling like that? Yeah, I think it's really hard. I don't know how that would work in a high school setting. I mean, the thing about an acting class is that I get to say to them, listen, you know, this is a safe uh, space. This is, this is if you're going to break down and, you know, if you're going to hit against walls and then break down, here's a real good place to do it because that's what we're here for. We're, we're here to explore human behavior. I don't know how that would go down in high school, but I don't, you know, I'm of the, I tend to be more gentle than than not. I find that the, the kids uh, seem to respond better to that. But I also do try and, and challenge them and nudge them gently, but firmly sometimes. <laughs> I, know, I think that's perfect. I, I think sometimes, especially teachers that I've been around, it seem like they're afraid to push students and get to that level of not quite frustration, but, you know, touch up, push up against that level yeah, of frustration. I, and I think that's where progress lives. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, and, and I always do concern myself with teachers who are like, well, they're going to get upset about it. It's like, yeah, that's okay. Let them work through it. <laughs> yeah, no, did, you know? Sometimes they're not going to move forward until they get really uncomfortable. And so I always try and make sure that at least with one class in my course, that there's that day where everyone's a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit frustrated, because then wonderful things tend to come from that. Well, it definitely sounds like, I mean, and you've had a, a very extensive career. Well, one of your most prominent roles was on a show called Tom Stone. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna totally butcher the name of your character. It was Corporal Marina Del Luz- Luzio. De Luzio. De Luzio. Sorry, I'm a horrible with names. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> That's uh, a- and on the show, you played basically. You were your character was kind of like the foil to Tom Stone. Yeah. So, so what was that experience like? Oh, it was really wonderful. It was really, it was great. I mean, I lived in in Calgary there for the two years that we shot, and I'd never really spent time there before. It was great to be such an integral part of a show because then you and your immediate crew become so tight in sort of it feels like your baby, you know? So I think we all really, really enjoyed it. I got to work with a, a dear friend of mine, Stuart Margolin, on that show. So it was a really it was it was a treasured experience for me. We had a lot, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun doing that show. It it, it looks like that the chemistry between your your characters were clear on on screen. Mm-hmm. I always, and I and I do always wonder how practice is that chemistry. Well, it, I mean, sorry to interrupt, Jeff. You know, when you go into when you go into a role like that, they're going to screen test you for that specific reason. They they screen test for Marina Deluzio's and for Tom Stones or something like that to see where the chemistry really lies. And and so I guess they like what they saw. I mean, you can't you can't really manufacture that kind of chemistry. Although, you know, there are times where I've heard lead actors just hate each other, but you might never know from watching them. But we had a really great rapport, Chris and I, we really enjoyed working together. And so hopefully that's what comes across, you know? I mean, I don't know if if you may know the answer to this or not, but do you, like, where does chemistry come from? Like, is it just a way, like a timing thing? Is it a way of how you complement each other as actors? Where, Where does that kind of resonate from? Yeah, I guess it must, you know, it must have something to do with the energy that you each give off. And the other one, you know, it's like, I really enjoy that person's energy. And so then you give something back really genuinely. And if you're both open and, you know, welcoming of the other person's energy, then I think that, you know, that's where, that's where electricity happens. That's where chemistry happens. 
you know, I think. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I want to know. I've, I've never been an actor, and thank God for that. I probably would be bad at it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, as an actor, I would assume you kind of have to be kind of exposed, sort of like emotionally exposed. And I've never been able to get would think that myself could get that comfortable on screen to be that to expose myself in that kind of emotional way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah, and you do, and I mean that's part of the. It's part of the challenge and it's part of the, the, you know, the joy and the excitement is to kind of lay yourself out there, obviously in a safe, in a safe way. But that's where the magic happens is when you're most uh, vulnerable and, and most open often. So I just love it. I think it's really, really exciting. <laughs> Well, I, I always envy those who who can do it. And it's one of those things that in your head, you always in your pretend in your head. I wish, you know, I wish I could act in that role or whatnot. But you realize, in, in reality, I, I'd be horrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the show Tom Stone. I was reading up a, a lot on it because I don't think it's available in in the states, unfortunately. And it's, I know it's credited by I read in a lot of places that was credited as being a distinct departure from a lot of the standard television in Canada. That it kind of had a more United American feel, United States feel to it. Of course, it's kind of I heard it was like. Kind of like a Magnum PI kind of style. Yeah. And at the time when you were making it, did you realize you're making something definitely kind of special and different than what was available in Canada at the time? Well, it felt really, it felt really exciting and really fun. And, and you know, with myself and, and Chris Martin and, and Stuart Margolin, the energy and the chemistry was really great. I liked the ideas that we, you know, dealt with. It was sort of more like white collar and it, it was just, you know, I really, I really got into all the stories. And so I think it was just really nicely written. There were a core group of writers. So there was the same sort of energy throughout the episodes. And so we could all grow together. And yeah, I felt like it was, I felt like it was something special. It's a shame it didn't go on for longer. Yeah, I, I find it interesting that I've talked to other actors on, on this podcast. And I find that it's interesting listening to the, the relationship between the actors and the writing staff that sometimes are good relationships and there's this kind of connection and interaction and uh, an exchange of ideas. Sometimes there's not yeah. was on Tom um, Stone. Was it kind of, was it kind of like that interaction or was it very much they're doing their show, they're writing it and you're kind of just taking. It depended on each episode and who had written it, to be honest. There were some writers that were more, you know, attached to their ideas and their way of telling the story than others. We would always be able to sit around and have like a, a table read and a discussion about it and, you know, give input. And let's say that some were more eager to take that on than others. So I think it's a really individual aspect to, you know, how much creative input you can have. It depends on, on the individual writer. So it was a mix, I think, with Tom Stone. And I, I can't help but think that when the, there's true collaboration, it, those episodes probably felt better, I would imagine, or... Yeah. Like, yeah, like, you know, when you're doing something as a team, then you all have a stake in it. So you all have a sort of a mutual, you know, need of one another and respect for one another. So it just creates a much more, I think, dynamic work ethic. Yeah, and in, in 2002, you got nominated actually for a Gemini Award mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for the role. Uh, I'm not going to try saying the name again because I, I totally <laughs> messed it up again. I <laughs> know who you're talking about. <laughs> yes, indeed. So how did that feel? Like, do, did you feel going forward, that, does that give you an extra bolt of confidence that when you're making your decision as an, act, as an actor, that you know you're making the right ones? Have you proven yourself as a success? 
and accomplished? Yeah. I mean, it's just nice to be acknowledged. It's nice to be acknowledged in a category, you know, among uh, strong actresses who I certainly respected and enjoyed their work. And yeah, it's, it, it's a definite, you know, it gives you a a good sort of self-confidence boost that you're doing it all right. You know, you're making, you're making pretty good choices and there's clearly something happening. Something is gelling that, that people think enough of you to nominate you for an award. It, because acting on some level is very insular, I guess, because it's you doing it, you know, you're performing yourself with your ability. Is it hard to build that confidence with yourself that you're making the decision early on? Like, is, is that ever, is that a struggle or do you, because you're success, you have the confidence knowing, you know what I'm saying, or you wouldn't have been a success without that confidence starting? Um, well, I just never, ever, ever for one second question what I wanted to do. So the passion and the sort of dedication to this was something that was always just incredibly strong in me. And so I, and I know, I, I always knew that I was putting in the work and that I, you know, I thought I was doing pretty pretty well and I just needed to keep going and keep going. I think that you have to love this and you have to you have to love it to your core and be good at it to be able to even get into a position where you'd ever be nominated for anything. So it's like you have to have your own sort of confidence that brings you to the to that point and then when you're recognized by others for what you're doing then it just kind of you know it's like the icing on the cake you know talk about I don't re- I don't often watch what I do because I'm probably going to just knock it you know I'd be my my own worst critic and yeah. so in that respect maybe I, you know I'm still working with my confidence but I trust myself in terms of what I'm doing I trust that I you know I, I leave it there I leave it all on the table and I and I walk away and so I guess that confidence maybe I'm maybe I'm not confident because I don't want to watch <laughs> it <laughs> but, you know I get pretty good feedback so I leave it to others to to kind of let me know if I'm on the right track I guess no, I can, I can, I get that on the side. I do my, my, the podcast that I do and I, I love doing the podcast, but I will admit, I don't listen to my own episodes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I can't, I, I pick apart my voice. I'm like, Oh, that exactly. sounded bad. Why, why did I pause? Why did I stutter? Yeah, I it's not worth it. It's not worth watching it. As long as I feel like on the day I did what I wanted to do, then I, I really can be much happier just walking away from it. I agree with you hundred percent. So how did you get involved with Star Trek Discovery? Well, it was just another audition. You know, I didn't know that it was Star Trek because they hold their cards very close to, you know, it was just a a great audition for this really strong uh, female character. And I guess they liked my audition and then they hired me and then I found out it was Star Trek. Did, Did you know you're playing a villain? Oh, yeah. Well, she was... I knew I was playing a very strong woman that didn't take any shit from anybody, certainly. So, and yeah, she, I think in the audition, I was contemplating poisoning somebody (laughs) very high up so yeah i knew that i knew that it was going to be a bad bad girl (laughs) well i mean you've had a lot of experience with sci-fi programming you you were in continuum earth final conflict you were in fringe did those roles and dealing with i guess i'm sure a lot of technical jargon help you when doing when you're working in star trek yeah i mean to be honest you know i take each each gig as just like a whole separate separate entity. I mean, working on Arrow and seeing how they did all that, you know, all the technical stuff possibly helped me to prepare for Star Trek, but Star Trek is is on a level all of its own. So it was like a whole a brand new experience. But yeah, I guess the, the 
openness of my mind to be able to accept all the the sci-fi you know ideas was put in place by all the work I've done before but but Star Trek was it was just a whole new world it's fantastic but I assume that the level of green screen for Star Trek is was probably at a level not seen in a lot of the other shows as well be massive yeah yeah. Is, is it hard to act in the green screen? And, you know, I guess you had the character with the dots on their faces and you had to do the, you know, that motion capture stuff. Yeah. You know, green screen is always really challenging because I mean, when you see the episode and it's like, we're looking at, you know, I don't know how many ships blasting each other out of the sky in front of it. That's a, that's a difficult thing to, <laughs> to try and conjure when you're when you're sitting there looking at you know an empty screen but you know again I guess if we believe we're seeing it then you're going to believe I'm seeing it and so that's you know it's all part of the it's all part of the art and a, a lot of I, I, I once again an assumption a lot of acting has to do when you're playing against somebody else watching the facial features of that individual you know for reactions but with all that latex makeup that a lot of the actors have do you lose a little bit of that ability to kind of play off them or at least play off their reactions? Well, I mean, yeah, to be honest, for me, I was the one that had most of the makeup on when I was talking with, although when I was talking with Saru, you know, the captain, it, he's been doing this for such a long time. Doug is such a professional that, you know, it's almost like you're looking at someone without makeup. But for <laughs> me, you know, I got the majority of, of my scene was with her dead fair and he wasn't wearing any uh, prosthetics. So I didn't find it that challenging to connect, no. It, is it challenging for you to act underneath that level of makeup and whatnot as well? Because once again, you're also limited in your own facial um, movements a little bit. Yeah, it was really challenging at first because my mouth was particularly compromised in the, you know, in the makeup. We had to have several tests, makeup tests to try and alter the, the mouth so that I actually could articulate more because I found that quite difficult. But once you get used to your limitations in the makeup, then I learned to really relax and have more fun. And obviously, you know, a lot of the focus was going to be in my eyes because they were they were real. <laughs> um, and so you just have to learn how to sort of manipulate this, this mask. I actually found it a fantastic experience as an actor to, to be working behind such a mask, really freeing in certain ways and, and really, you know, restricting in other ways. So to try and find that, that balance so that you don't look like a, a talking head was yeah. you know was challenging at first but but I think that it's like it's almost like you know when you put on a pair of ice skates or roller skates and at first you're just like oh god how do you how do you yeah. walk in these and then once you get used to them you're like oh yeah it's just an extension of my foot so that's kind of what I think it felt like with the makeup well I mean your performance of Osira was fantastic oh I loved her <laughs> I mean you you were you were badass you had a there's a steeliness to the character that just works. I mean, it, it, it was subtle, but strong. Yeah, that was great. I'm glad. I'm glad you thought that. I thought so too. What, what, what did, in preparing for the role, what did it, what did they tell you, especially the writers about the character to get you into like the headspace of this character? I have to admit that I bought a lot of Osira to the table with me. You know, the history of the show, the history of her race of people also, you know, really gave me so many clues in terms of who this who this character was 
And I, I think that they just liked what I did. You know, it, it wasn't, we didn't have a great deal of discussion about it. It's sort of, that's how I, that's how I felt the character was from, from the get go. So I had, I had their full support in, in creating this really, you know, sort of understated villain. Now, as you alluded to, she, the character's in Orion, who, like you said, is very famous in the franchise, The Species. Mm-hmm. Did you go back and watch episodes with the Orions in it and try to figure out either going for the type or against type in performing it? I didn't do that much, if I'm honest. Like, I was more focused on, because she's in such a position of power within the species, that I wanted to know more about what got them here, what got Osira to this position. And then that would help me to color her as a character. I didn't look to individual green people to to help me, if I'm honest. Just the race generally, the struggle that they had had and where they came from. That's what helped me. Yeah, this this actually was a wonderful line that Osira states in uh, Discovery. I'll just say for, for the listeners, you say it as Osira, my ancestors knew that power is virtue and there's no nobility in suffering. Mm-hmm. You do what it takes to get what you need or you don't. That's such a, to me, it was such a fantastic line mm-hmm. and you delivered it perfectely. So how did, so did that line, when you read that line, like what how, did that further inform you about who this person was going to be, Asira? Yeah, absolutely. It did. You know, I mean, she really, she really felt strongly about what she was doing and she felt, you know, it didn't just come from, she wasn't doing it on a whim. Like, you know, this, these are ancestors, this is like history that's embedded in this world. And so I think that she took, you know, took power from her people and from their struggle. And that's what, you know, got her where she is. Maybe she took it to a, a level that they would not have been, thrilled by <laughs> but you know she was determined to to put her people on the map in a real and genuine in a, a genuine way and give them power were, were you able to with especially with a line like that able to empathize with her a little bit like you know i hear a lot of actors state that they have to kind of like love their character or at least feel that their character in some way is the hero of their story on on, on mm-hmm. some way was a line like that able for was that a way for you to connect with your character when you heard a line like that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there are sort of, you know, I had I have a lot of empathy for Osira. I think that she's a phenomenal character. I know that she did things. Her methods were, you know, not not always appreciated. But you know, she wasn't just like a nasty person she had definite ideas and was was wanting to you know progress her people and so all of those lines that hinted to things like that and you know her her willingness to to adopt the you know the agreement where she would where she would commit to ending slavery she really wanted to move forward and i feel that she did what she did because she felt that she had no choice at the time so, so you think that scene when she's talking to Admiral uh, Vance? Mm-hmm. Do you think so? You think she was being honest about ending or merging the Emerald Chain with the Federation? You think that was an honest attempt to end, end the end the fighting? In your opinion, I do. I think it was an honest attempt to forge some kind of you know union moving forward. But obviously, she was not prepared to take herself out of the picture. So you know, a union, but very much including her and not solely on her terms because she acquiesced and she, you know, she made concessions for the Federation, 
but I believe it was a genuine attempt to to move forward in a whole new way. She needed them, they needed her, and I think that she thought that it could happen, but but never for one second without her. <laughs> so, so, so that, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, I'm say, so in, it really, the Star Trek Discovery crew really kind of screwed everything up, didn't they? They really did. <laughs> yeah, they really did. I mean, the thing is, you know, the, the Admiral Vance was like, no, you you basically can't, be a part of this and so there was going to be no way forward unfortunately but i think that from what i've heard people really wanted that to work and so yeah i'm gonna have to lay that at the feet of the crew of discovery for (laughs) (laughs) i I, I agree with you 100 because i remember watching the episode thinking myself you know, if the crew just sits down and shuts up, they would yeah. have had a, a peace deal and Rochane would have been involved. Everyone's happy. No one dies. Exactly. And they but then and they, what would you do with Star Trek from then on? That That, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was bad for the and Rochane, but I guess great for the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you also are trained highly and skilled in Taekwondo, gymnastics, and also dance. Mm-hmm. Did you did you want to incorporate those elements of yourself more into your character, have more opportunities to show off those abilities? Well, I did quite there... a lot of those stunts by myself at the at the end. I didn't, you know, I got I did not do all of them by any means, but I certainly asked to be a part of the the stunt journey, and they allowed me to do to do a lot of it. So yeah, I like to, you know, if there's an opportunity for me to be able to bring in my gymnastics and you know my sort of minimal martial arts experience, then then I really want to because it's so much more fun. And I totally think Osira got cheated. I mean, I feel like Osira needed to be in so many more episodes than it turned out to be. Yeah. I think there could have been, uh, I think there could have been much more fun to be had with Osira. I I think so. Cause I mean, like I said, it was a, a well, a very well done villain. And I think a villain that in a very few episodes proved to be a memorable one that I think had a lot more to build upon. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Cause if you think about it, it it's only really in, a couple of episodes and the episode eight and episode 11 were just little snippets of her. So, I mean, I would love to have had a sort of a longer buildup, you know, to get to know her a little bit throughout and seeing what she had done in the past to kind of paint a picture of her before we met her. I I agree so much. And I think another great insight we had to the character was the story told by, I guess, the, I think the character's name is Aurelio, played by Kenneth Mitchell, in which Asira is, is almost described like in a very, like, almost nurturing, nurturing way. Yeah. That she helped him a lot. Yeah. And I kind of felt that made her, once again, not only humanized her more, but once again, made her a character that you could empathize with a lot. Yeah. I think that, I mean, and maybe they were nervous of that, because how do you, how do you create, you know, who in the end is going to, is going to, try and take everybody down. I don't know how much loyalty and empathy we want people to have for them, but I do think that, you know, the character, the character was just so, was just so wonderful. I think, I think that you could have gone, you know, a number of ways and, and, and a more dramatic death would have been something that I would have fought for as well. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I definitely felt that more sorry was totally needed. And I I think once again, a a different ending would have been, Fantastic. But because I, I think like when you had that insight into Aurelio's character with the interaction with Osira, I felt that just had to be explored more. Like what kind of person does what Osira does, but yet has this great well of apparently sympathy for this other person. Yeah, I think it would have been a really nice thing for me as an actor to be able to have that as well and to really be able to round the character off more 
because I think certainly with villains, they, you know, they can be so di- two dimensional that the brief opportunities I had to, to actually, you know, let my guard down with Aurelio were wonderful for me just as an actor, just to be able to kind of, you know, beef the character up. So I would have, yeah, I would have loved to have seen more Osira in, in that kind of way. Yeah, there's definitely more story to be told. I mean, maybe they'll do a, a group of novels about it or something maybe, to, I don't know. <laughs> to try to fill in those gaps. But yeah, I, I really think that the, the moment where you finally learn about a slider in a way that increased how interesting of a character it was, they killed you off, unfortunately. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, if they hadn't killed me, I would have taken over, I guess. So, so that's true. You know, their their hands were tied, but I just kind of wanted to be shot out into space, and so we didn't really know, you know, what happened to Osira because then there's some opportunities there, maybe in the future. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess I mean we can assume Osira is dead, but once again, because you're under that kind of makeup, is there a chance you're going to come back to the franchise as other characters? Oh, I would, I would love it. Let's see. Let's fingers crossed. Once again, if anyone producers from Scorcher Discoveries are listening, we <laughs> <We're> <laughs> Jenny in, Kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> More roles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did and, tell them. I did tell them very I was very adamant about it and very enthusiastic at the time that, you know, I I'd, I'd love to come back. So, you know, whatever, however I needed to look next time, I would be willing to do it. Yeah, and and I think the fans would love to have you back. And the one thing about Star Trek fans is that they're extremely dedicated i mean they're it's they're most legendary how dedicated they are to their characters and their shows mm-hmm. did was there a point when you realized just how powerful of a fan base that is or how much of a how, how that you've entered that kind of fandom um well i'm realizing it since the show aired and suddenly it's like whoa you know there's 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 a lot there's a lot of response to Osira. There's a lot of discussions about Osira. There's there's a lot of press requests and you know all sorts of, of fun things. I think when you're doing the show, I certainly I certainly learned you know that Star Trek really is like this magical world, and that I hoped the fans would would you know cling on to or cling on that's really funny i hope <laughs> the fans would, would you know really like osira because i did feel a bit of a duty to you know give them something good because they they have you know they should expect nothing less from from this franchise so but you know now i i really am realizing how you know how important that part of this whole thing is and um i'm kind of thrilled by the response i'm getting from from the people that have watched it. I, I wonder if the writers and producers are su- surprised by just how well liked Osira was as a character. I wonder if that took them as by surprise. I wonder too. I hope so. You know, I'm go- I hope they're going, Oh my goodness. Yeah. We, we, we fucked we, up. Really, really, really <laughs> liked her. What are we going to do? We have to do something. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier with the, with the enormous positive response to this character. And I'm really happy with her too. Like I thought that she was, I really liked her. So I'm glad that people are feeling uh, similarly about it and making noise about it. And I'm pretty sure Osira had an identical twin sister. I'm pretty sure somewhere in the universe. Exactly, <laughs> right? The twin that never got to do these things because Osira was so in charge. Maybe she even kept her in jail somewhere. You never yeah. know. Yeah. I, 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 th- I think that's definitely the thing. I, th- I think, once again, if anyone's listening, Osira has... In canon, a twin sister, <laughs> identical twin, must yeah. be done. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, you know, we'll just get the fans to to write in and and push all these things, and and you know, let's see what happens. Such a wonderful production to be a part of. Such a an incredible energy on set, especially working with Jonathan Frakes. It was just, it was something I could do every day forever. It was just wonderful. Hashtag Osira Twin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Have you been doing um, the virtual conventions right now during uh, the COVID time? I'm starting. I'm doing one next Saturday, and that's the first one thus far. And then I'm hoping to go to Las Vegas in August to do the big Star Trek convention there. So hopefully that will go ahead as planned. We'll have to see. I know it's it's already been canceled, like you know, or postponed several times. So fingers crossed, we'll all be vaccinated by then, and and uh, or most of us, and we can you know, do it even if it's on a smaller scale. Um, do, you, do you want to plug the virtual convention that you're a part of? Sure. Just give me a moment, Jeff, to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I, I am like, I have no social media life. It's, it's a real choice for me. It's a, it's a, you know, a conscious decision to not have any social media, but so that means that I'm not really up to date with all this. So hang on a second. I'm just trying to find, it, it, it's it's probably healthier that you don't. <laughs> well, you know, it is for me. It, it really is. Here we go. So the virtual con is with, it's with Cool Waters production and it's the women of Star Trek, I believe. And it is myself and I'm sorry, Jeff, that this is taking me a while. Oh no worries. Well, well, well. Actually, I'll put it in for an edit, and we'll see. We'll seem like you had it right in front of you the whole time. Okay, perfect. Here it is. Okay, here it is. Ladies of Trek. It's Cool Water Productions hashtag in house slash con and hashtag Ladies of Trek Trek in capital letters at Cool Waters Productions, and it's myself and Rachel. Anchoril on the show some months back. Okay, and it's yeah, in-house con presents ladies of the Star Trek universe, and that's that. That's it. Cool Water Productions. Very cool. And you also have you're also appearing in a in a in the third season of Two Sentence Horror Story. Is that correct? An episode called Elliot. Yes, I did. So you, you play and that one you play a mysterious janitor. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Two Sentence Horror Stories? Uh, yeah, what an interesting interesting show that was. It's a really cool kind of idea. My character is, you know, a very a supportive person who may have another agenda, you know, that that will come to see. It's a very short little little episode as they all are, but yeah, interesting. It's a it's a really sort of another another not your run of the mill good person character. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and surprises there behind the janitor. Well, I mean, it sounds like um, a very interesting episode because it has to do with a bullied uh, trans masculine person named Elliot who's been dealing with issues of bullying and intolerance. So it just sounds like a very important episode. And was that part of the reason why you wanted that role? Because it does deal with some kind of topical, very... Yeah, I really like this. I like the premise of the show. It does tackle with, you know, it tackles everyday issues that are happening right now and sort of, you know, very relevant uh, topics. And so... I liked being a part of that. Also, the character was just, you know, again, was was pretty fun to do. And yeah, I like the people involved. So I just felt like it just felt like one of those, you know, what's the word I'm looking for, Jeff? Like not honorable, not irrelevant. Yeah, like irrelevant, sort of a socially, you know, a re- 
responsible thing to be a part of, if that makes sense. Oh, I agree 100%. And I, I, was, I was just thinking to myself that Star Trek Discovery is also a very socially relevant show. So you're, I mean, once again, it seems like you're gravitating towards shows that do have importance beyond just entertainment value. Yeah, I think, and I mean, I think that's also, a, you know, a sort of a signal of the times and there's so much more being written about stuff like that, you know, that it's it's more fun to be able to be a part of something that you think it actually has a bigger message than just sort of, you know, the the right here and now. Oh, I, I agree with you 100%. What other projects are you working on? Um, at the moment, I'm uh, working on Charmed, which is, I don't know if you call it sci-fi, but it is, you know, it's like three young witch sisters. <laughs> yeah, um, my wife loves the show. Oh, don't she? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, she I, I don't know anything about it except that. I worked with Rupert on uh, Man in the High Castle, so I know that he's, that he's on the show, but I don't know much more about it except that, that it's the three the three witch sisters. And that's the only, con- there's a couple of things up in the air at the moment, but you know, with COVID and everything, it's sort of, everything's being left to the last minute right now. So I'm not going to talk about anything else, but yeah, I'm working on Charmed right now. Are, is the episodes you're in already released or is this for the know. season after? You know what? I don't know. I, I don't know if season three's even begun. I'm, I'm so, like I said, I, I'm sort of keep myself very much out of the loop. I go to work, out of blast, I come home. Well, I'll, I'll ask my wife, like I said, she, she loves that uh, show charm. She watched, she liked the original from the nineties and she loves the remake as well. Right. See, I remember the original from the nineties a little bit because I remember the, you know, the actresses, but, but yeah, that's very limited knowledge at this point, I'm afraid. <laughs> No, there's absolutely no worries. But I, was, I just want to thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, thank you're, you. It's you're a fantastic fun. guest, and I love talking about Osira. <laughs> yeah, me too. I could talk about Osira a lot. So when her twin arrives, let's talk again. I, I, I definitely would want that. And once again, hashtag Osira twin, goddammit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you, Jeff. Thank you. And we're back. That's right. We are back. Back in the saddle again. Well, <laughs> I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that as much as we did making it for you. And if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you got to go check out spoilerverse.com because at spoilerverse.com, we have a plethora. Plethora is such a, it's such a snobbish word. <laughs> I like it though. <laughs> It's, it's a good word. <laughs> we have an obscene amount of oh, interviews obscene. with amazing directors and artists of all walks of life and editors and writers. And oh my God, are you a lover of comic books like we are? And then there's so many. so many amazing people from the comic book world over at spoilerverse.com. And I highly implore you to go there and check it out. Yeah, and while you're there, you can check out all the other podcasts on our network, like Bridges and Geekdoms and Funny Book Forensics and Haphazard Adventures and Nerds in the Crypt and so many more. Misery Point Radio. Episodes all the time. Misery Point Radio has got a ton of great stuff out there. Go check all of them out. And check out all of the reviews and previews and articles we have going up every single day for you. Every day on Swillivers.com for you to check out, to read, and to love, and to like, and to comment. We have a store link. You want to help support the site? You can do it two ways. One, go to our Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash country, or go to our store link in the middle of the site there and get a t-shirt, a face mask, a hoodie, something. Look fly as hell and help support the site when you do that because we get a dollar or two. And, you know, maybe you want to talk to us. If you do, you can do it you know, obviously on all the socials, but if you go to scpod.us slash discord, you can join our public discord server and come chat with us all day long. 
I couldn't say it better myself, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You just mouthed out a ton of information at once. And really, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy what you're hearing because we're, we're working our butts off to bring it to you. We are. We are. I guess there's only one left thing. One left thing? Yeah. I'm going to go with it. There's only one left thing left to do. What's that? In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind. And we more.